In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today, Mexicans all over the world are enthralled with joy. They will be singing Las Mañanitas with their big sombreros and with their mustaches and their guitars and their violins. In fact, last night, the Archbishop of Montreal celebrated a midnight mass in the cathedral with all the Latinos that they could find, <laughs> and uh, Quebecois as well. Um, many of them are very devoted to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And uh, it's become a tradition that on the eve of the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, they sing Las Mañanitas. And uh, what they sing are, the song is, Estas son las mañanitas que cantaba el Rey David a las muchachas bonitas, te las cantamos así. These are the mañanitas, mañanitas, these are the morning songs that King David sang to the pretty girls. Well, these we sing to you now. This is um, the song that is very popular in Mexico and that is addressed now to Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's a beautiful feast day that fills us with joy at this miraculous account of Our Lady's apparition to this uh, Mexican Indian, uh, Juan Diego. The oldest account of this apparition dates to the mid-1500s in Natual, the local Aztec language. Imagine, at that time, I mean, Mexico really had only been Christian some 10 years, very few years. And Mexicans under the Aztecs had endured rather macabre rites celebrated to these bloodthirsty idols with uh, all kinds of strange sacrifices. But it's as though the living of the sacraments and the Holy Mass and the devotions that Christians began to, to live seems to, they seem to have brought a kind of a liberation from all this evil and all this error. It was like a sudden soothing balm in the hearts of the people. So it's in this context that God chose to protect the new continent under the mantle of the mediatrix of all graces. There was a new context, a new continent beginning. Christianity was beginning to spread. Of course, the new continent needed a mediatrix. And that was going to be Our Lady of Guadalupe. As you know, it all started with Juan Diego, who met her on December 9th, 1531. He was uh, 57 years old at the time. He was hurrying to Mass near Mexico City 
And so he hadn't been baptized as a child. He was, he was a, you know, an adult convert. In fact, he was going to Mexico City to hear Mass and also to receive instruction. And as he passed by the hill called Tepeyac, he heard singing on the hill these kind of beautiful sounding birds of some, some you know, lovely sounding music. The attraction of music when it's precious is, is attractive, it's beautiful, it, 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 it attracts us. And, uh, and he thought, well, this sounds like it's coming from heaven, literally. And uh, there was music, and there was singing, but then the singing stopped. And he heard somebody calling to him, Come, my dearest Juan Diego, come. And that's when he saw her, boom. Like, he saw the beauty of this apparition. And as you know, she asked to have uh, a church built for her as, as the mother of, of the true God. And so she told him, go and see the bishop, Juan de Sumaraga, and uh, tell him that's what she wanted. Go and see the bishop. And as you know, well, he went to see the bishop, but the bishop made him wait, and uh, the bishop didn't really receive him. It was too, yeah, it didn't happen. So he, he failed, and he went back, and he told her, maybe, maybe you should send somebody a bit smarter than me. You know, I'm not, not too good. I'm somebody more educated. But she said, no, no, it's got to be you. You know, and uh, there's no lack of good servants, but I want you to do this. I want you to undertake this task. So, so you know, she told him to go back. So he went back. But when he finally saw the bishop again, Sumaraga, he did not really believe, and he said, well, okay, that's very nice. Uh, you know, he patted him on the head, but maybe, maybe you could bring me a, a nice proof of some kind. And uh, so she said she would give him a sign the next day if he, if he came back the next day. But now, by now he was a bit panicking, and he didn't come back. His uncle was on the point of death, and his uncle had begged him for a priest, so imagine he was pretty stressed. He had Our Lady on one side, he had his uncle on the other side asking for a priest. So he was looking for a priest. And uh, when he came to the Tepeyac Hill, he went around the place where he met her because, you know, he's, look, I've got other things to do right now, right? And, uh, and uh, he was afraid there would be no time, that he was going to die. And, uh, but, our Lady found him on the path that he took. And that was December 12th. That was December 12th. And uh, she said, you know, am I not here? Am I not your mother? And, well, her power exemplified by this, by being really clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And... Uh, well, and as you know, uh, uh, she, she told him to go and wrap some flowers in his cloak. And, um, and then later on, when uh, he brought that cloak with the flowers to the bishop, there is where that image appeared. 
a beautiful image, in a, under a cloak, under with harsh, or or rather, you know, not very good uh, material, but still is in perfect condition even today. And people venerate that image now. There are thousands of people every, well, probably every day, and and her name, the name she gave to Juan Diego, in the Nahuati language was which is something like that. I can't really pronounce this. But in Spanish it is rendered Guadalupe. And uh, meaning the one who crushes the serpent. And, um, and here it's not just uh, the reference to the serpent as in the devil, which it is, of course, but it's also a reference to a specific Aztec deity, crushing that deity. So it had a profound uh, relevance at that time because that area was still under the scourge of this Aztec religion, which was really a very bloody form of paganism with lots of human sacrifice. And But now Our Lady radiates this peace and uh, this serenity. And just with her consoling demeanor, her posture. And well, as you know, with time, this beautiful shrine was built. And um, as many as 10 million pilgrims visit, um, you know, at least every year. And uh, they've built now conveyor belts so that you can easier, easily see it. And uh, our father went there to Guadalupe in 1970, accompanied by Don Alvaro. And uh, they made a novena to Our Lady, spending really hours every day in that church. This was when it was the old church, not the new uh, shrine that was built. And they prayed for the church, the Pope, and the work. And um, there was like a little, like a little, like a gallery or something where he was allowed to pray. There were many, many people in the church at the time. This is 1970, right? So uh, it was quite an impressive. Uh, Oppressive occasion where our father would pray there, and sometimes he would pray out loud, and Don Javier would take notes of what he said, and he only had his agenda, and he had to keep his his handwriting very small so he could fit in everything that he said. And uh, at the end of the novena, our father said, "Her face shows an utter simplicity. Her expression is one of sweetness, of humility." of purity, of honesty. It's a look of compassion, of love, and at the same time, of suffering. You know, how you can combine those two. I think that she suffered when she saw that one, that no one was paying any attention to poor Juan Diego, and that she is looking at him <clears throat> with compassion and affection. I thought of your sins and mine, and I realized that she is looking at us too with that great affection because she is our mother, but also at times with sorrow. Let us not cause our mother in heaven any sorrow. It was a time of great upheaval after the council where so many you know, cracks were noticed in the church, so, so many people had abandoned the faith, priests had abandoned their priesthood, the religious, uh, 
lots of bad formation was circulating, modernist ideas, and this was a time of great suffering for our, our, Lord, our, our Father, excuse me. And, um, you know, this is why he said, well, Our Lady looks, still looks upon us with affection and compassion. Then Don Alvaro went there again in 1983. And um, on that occasion, when he went there, the abbot of the basilica invited him to enter into a small chamber like that, that if you see the image, it turns at night and turns like that into a small chamber where somehow it is, you know, protected and locked under glass. And as it turns in, that's a chamber that Don Alvaro was allowed to access thanks to the, the you know, the abbot of the basilica. And, um, you know, very few people have access to that, but he was able to go and kiss the glass that covers it. And he was very, very deeply moved. Mm -hmm. And uh, at first he, you know, he just wanted to kiss the feet. Mm -hmm. uh, he, did, he, cons he considered himself unworthy to kiss the face. And uh, Don Javier reminded him that Mary is our mother, nevertheless, and then he lovingly kissed the cheek. And uh, there's a picture of that moment where Don Alvaro is kissing the cheek of Our Lady Guadalupe. That's the, the real image of Our Lady Guadalupe. It's not a reproduction, it's, it's the real thing. And um, it's, it's quite a touching image where he's leaning over doing that. At that moment, they took a picture. And, uh, and so, well, when, with the Basilica ending up closed during the pandemic, uh, the Pope made it possible for us to get an indulgence at home, especially on the 125th anniversary of the coronation of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and people obtained these special um, indulgences. And uh, so, you know, the Pope you know, really wanted this. He said, let us allow Our Lady to visit us in our homes this year. Let us open our doors to her and lift up our hearts so that she may bless us and cover us with her mantle. May our Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Mother, may Saint Mary of Guadalupe continue to accompany us and bless us in the painful journey of all the people of God who wander in our archdiocese and throughout the world. And um, it's interesting, our father sent out, one of the first priests that our father sent out to Mexico was Pedro Casiado. Pedro Casiado, who, uh, who had, had uh, been involved in the adventure in the Pyrenees, to, to cross the Pyrenees with our father during the Civil War. And Pedro Casiero recounted all that in his diary, and he wrote a book about this, about the adventures during the Civil War. And he recounts that one of the most moving moments of that traverse in the, in the Pyrenees was when our father celebrated Mass. And he had brought the kit with him to celebrate Mass, and there were a number, obviously a number of others with him, but there were other people they didn't really know. They were just, you know, traveling along. And he... And it was, there was no real flat place, no real good place to celebrate Mass. They're in the middle of the woods. Some of them are keeping watch. And the militia had be, received orders to shoot on sight without asking who these people were. They, if they saw anybody in the woods, they would just shoot on sight. So they had to be extremely quiet and very careful. And it was a big risk to actually 
celebrate Mass. And, but it was a very moving moment. Uh, they, you know, they, they, those serving Mass accompanied our, our father very close and they had to hold down the corporal lest it blow away. And, uh, and there was one person who was there who didn't know these people, didn't know our father at all, Antonio Dalmasis, who is, I think, from Barcelona, and he was also escaping. And, um, and he, he said, uh, this is the most moving mass that I've ever assisted at. He said, I don't know if it was because of the circumstances of the moment or because this priest is a saint. And uh, he, descri- he describes how the communion is done. It's very moving. People were tattered clothing. One guy has his leg all exposed, uh, from, you know, torn. Another one is bleeding. The hands are bleeding from, from the, you know, the, at the areas they're going through. And um, it was uh, quite, a, quite a moving uh, event. And years later, we hear from Guadalupe how happy she was when, uh, the, when Guadalupe, the blessed Guadalupe, right? Uh, when, she, when the Blessed Sacrament was first reserved in the center for the first time. And she wrote, Our Father, from Mexico in July of 1953. She said, Our Lord has been in this house since yesterday. Don Pedro, Don Pedro Casiano, the one who was on the on the trip through the Pyrenees, came to say Mass and reserved the Blessed Sacrament. Last night, the first our Lord spent here. We had a vigil because today is first, the first Friday. I'm so happy. Now everything will go better. Don't you think so? And they invited girls over. And, right? and that's 1953. 1953. Or she writes at another, uh, on another occasion... From Molina Viejo, and now this is now in Spain in 1949, she she called a, a kind of a fainting experience in Mass. She said about myself, I don't know what to tell you. Before our Lord, I'm one thing. I pray for everything, but my prayer gets stuck time after time on one idea. At at present, it's a word fainting, but not in the sense of losing strength, but just the opposite. I read it in one of the offertory prayers of the Mass, and I think it's what happens to me when I have a strong sense of God's presence. And I'm so happy that I can hardly bear it physically. I think, I, I think you can understand, can't you? She's writing to our Father. So she has these, she calls them fainting experiences, where she has an intense sense of God's presence during Mass. And then a little bit later again in, in Mexico, she's careful to, she's preparing the new oratory. There was a lot of careful work preparing the chapel. And she says to her father, I'd, I'd love to be able to tell you that on the 18th of May we'll have our Lord in our house, but it's not definite. It depends on the gilder who's restoring the altarpiece with a picture of Our Lady and the altar. How much I'd love it if we could have the first Mass here on such a great day, the Feast of the Ascension. Please keep it in mind and pray on that day for this house and also pray a bit for me. On that day, I made my first communion. I moved into a center of the work and I also did the fidelity. So she, 
she associates all these um, events in her life, you know, so so wonderfully all around the communion, around the mass, and you know, we can ask ourselves: uh, Do I have? You know, do I write the Father about my own experience at mass? What, what do I see there when I go to Mass? My experience, my intimacy there. And um, many, for a long time, couldn't even enter churches. All the churches are closed and it's <clears throat> couldn't even do the visit. So we'd have to do the visit from outside. And it's as though like this, there's like an effort to, to try to stop us from having that intimacy. You know, all that obviously was unthinkable for Guadalupe in that time. But, uh, but of course, they had other struggles with the Civil War, and churches were destroyed, and, and you know, the experience of the Mass of Our Father there in the woods. But we should, you know, look at our experience of Mass. How do I experience Mass? How do I love the Mass? How do I cherish the infinite value of the Mass? The infinite value. It's more valuable than anything I can do. What... what how do I weigh the value of my mass? Like that story of this old lady who was very poor and she wanted to go to the butcher to get food for her family, but she was, didn't have much money. And uh, she went to the butcher and she said, could you give me a little bit of meat uh, for my family, but I don't have money. And he said, look, lady, I mean, uh, you know, I got to make my living. Like, I can't give you just free food here. I can't just, no, no. And then she said, well, what if I give you, uh, what if I offer a Mass for you? I go to church today, I go to Mass, and I'll offer the Mass for you. He said, whatever, do what you want, but it's not that great a value, he said to her. So she nevertheless did that, and she had a Mass offered. And when those days they would write like a little slip that would say the Mass was offered for whoever, and they wrote on there, the butcher. And she came back with this paper that said, the mass has been offered for you. And um, he said, okay, whatever. You know, he wasn't too impressed, I guess. He said, thanks, I guess. Uh, but she said, no, see, see what value it has on your scales next to your meat. And um, so he, he put, you know, the scales, he put the paper on and it went down and um, and the other side went up, and then he said, "Now, now, put some, put some meat on there." So she, he, the guy, put a little piece of meat, and the, you know, the the weight of the paper was still heavier than the meat. And then he put another bigger piece of meat, another piece of meat, then a whole lamb, you know, and and the little piece of paper was still heavier than this massive piece of meat. You know? And he goes, "Take the whole thing, lady," you know, you know, you know. That's the value. That's the infinite value of a mass. And um, this, this little paper, which represents, of course, the value of the Mass, outweighs all that meat. So what weight do I value, do I really value the, my daily Mass? You know, what, what kind of weight does it have in my daily activities? You know, all the, maybe I think, oh, I have to do all these things, all these things are important for me to do, and, and uh, you know, all that meat in my life. And uh, because this, the, the Eucharist is ultimately the central mystery of our faith, it fills us with true wonder that uh, the Lord wants to stay with us so much uh, that, that he, he gives us his real presence. Mm -hmm. 
It's a central mystery of our faith, but it's also a central mystery uh, in our vocation. It has to really make us happy. It has to fill us with wonder like it did uh, Guadalupe. And uh, remember our Lord said to the apostles, you know, I will be with you until the end of the age. And this is how this becomes true. And, um, and when Pope John Paul II wrote the encyclical Ecclesia de Eucharistia, he, he expressed the desire to rekindle our wonder at the Eucharist, the source and summit of Christian life, to, to rekindle it. You know, sometimes it's just, it's not really a, a very strong fire, but it has to be rekindled. And uh, that's, that's what we want to do, rekindle our love and passion from my daily Mass, the way I assist, maybe the sacrifice I have to put in to get to Mass. I mean, there's nothing in the world compared to the renewal of the sacrifice of the cross in the Holy Mass, where Christ offers himself uh, for all humanity. And uh, after all, Our Lady of Guadalupe wanted uh, her image there for all Mexicans and then all Christians to be placed in a a church where Mass would be celebrated. It was like a, a way of attracting souls not just to her image, but to the Mass. And that's why the Eucharist is really the biggest event that place, takes place every day in the whole world and has to be, in some ways, the biggest event in our life. It's the moment in which, really, heaven and earth come together. Right? They, they collide in some ways. And they're... And, uh, we are constantly in the, in the presence, really, of so much greatness. And I suppose our danger, if we go every day, that we get accustomed to this and of kind of forgetting the value or forgetting to be fa- thankful for it. Maybe we can, we can try to renew the way we give thanks after Mass, you know, stay behind, give our thanksgiving. And that's... A, it's a, it's a, it's the, we've just received the food of truth, as Pope Benedict used to call it, the food of truth. So it's, it's, it's a true food that, that keeps us uh, in good health and full of conviction. And uh, maybe, maybe that's what we have to do. And maybe we have to just list a, a number of intentions that we can pray for at that moment. Well, Our Lady of Guadalupe today will help us to live the Mass. We can't live the Mass of Our Lady Guadalupe because it's Sunday. It takes precedence, but, uh, but it's still an occasion and to, to, to have her close to us today as we in, in now today try to really live this Holy Mass, this Gaudete Sunday as the root and center of our life. Thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.